if you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, that's what we're going to be looking at in our time together today. And again, it's so good to have you visiting with us today. It's good to have uh, garments here. It's good to have uh, our family here. And uh, it's good to have Bon and Craig's uh, Craig's family here. They're here. And uh, so just so good to see you guys. Uh, I think you guys came the furthest, uh, Zach. You, 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 and, you and Nancy, probably from California. Any, can anybody beat that? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's good to have you guys all here. And uh, let's... Uh, Let's just take a look at the word today for, for, for these next few, few moments here. And again, we've been in this series about rediscovering the, uh, the power of the resurrection. And uh, today, again, there's, uh, this is just one at, another aspect of the resurrection. I want us to kind of capitalize a little bit on what we talked about the last couple weeks. But talking about the, the cross, the empty tomb, and in 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 3 here, just the first 10, 10 verses. And uh, we'll focus upon one particular verse especially. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. (laughs) Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so we, that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as Jesus is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now this is how we know who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Who they are, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Amen. Amen. Father, we ask you today that as we look at your word for a while, Father, we pray that it might open itself up to us, that it might bless us, that it might expand our horizons, our thinking, that we would come to understand the word more plainly, more clearly, and understand you in, in, the, in the meantime as well. For we know, Lord, that you are the word. You are the expression of the word. And we pray that you will make yourself very clear to us today and help us to see our part, Lord, that you want us to play, that you give us the opportunity to be, to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stay up late this New Year's Eve, someone said, not to ring in the new year, but to make sure the old one leaves. (laughs) Yeah, ever thought that way? I've heard more people say this year that they are so glad 2023 is almost over. I've heard that on the news. I've heard that from, from others just saying, wow, this has been a really, really difficult year. I don't know. It seems like we say that every year. It seems like, man, 2022 was a hard year. 20, you know, COVID was a hard, hard year. All, all those things. It seems like we do say that a, a, a bit about every, every year. Because, like I said before, Job does tell us that, that we, were born, we are born to trouble just as surely as sparks fly upward from a campfire. 
You know, they never go down, they always go up. In the same way, we're guaranteed trouble in this world. And Jesus, of course, did say that, uh, that hit, we are going to face much tribulation in John 16, 33, but he has overcome this world. We're going to have trouble in this world, but he's overcome the world, so do not fear. The last couple Sundays, we looked at what life and culture was like before Jesus was born in Bethlehem and before the coming of the kingdom of God, which began, of course, with the ministries of John the Baptist as well as Jesus. And we also looked at how Christianity has changed the world since Jesus died on the Roman cross for our sins and rose from the dead. We looked at some of those things. And there's a lot of suffering we, we, we've seen. There's a lot of suffering in the world today. My goodness. And we are made more aware of it, of course, through the media of how horrible, how awful things are in this world. But we also saw, by looking back at what life was like before Jesus came, that actually the world was even worse then. It was worse. There was even greater suffering then, as most of the world, all the world actually, held this barbaric view toward life, and there was no such thing as human rights, and no such thing as self-government, there was no such thing as liberty, no such thing as charities, and, and that, and that. Um, there's a lot less suffering in the world today because Jesus, uh, you know, came. Uh, for instance, the abolition of slavery. By, by the way, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Islam does not consider slavery a sin. And it's actually still practiced in three nations today. Uh, it's practiced in Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and, and Mauritania. So um, individual liberty, uh, self-government, like I said. Even sanitation that we take for granted. Clean water. Um, being able, you know, indoor plumbing, you know, and being able to just uh, say goodbye to things we don't wish to have in our presence, you know, and uh, going someplace where that is is taking care for taking care of us. Those are results of the blessings of Christianity. I know it sounds wild, but it's it's really true. Uh, history proves it. Um, um, all the way again from our government situation, uh, you know, to medicine, science, technology, better education, um, helping the needy, hospitals, and much much more. Christianity has made the world a much better place than it used to be. What would the modern world be like without Christianity? Without the resurrection of Jesus? Without the Jesus factor? some very astute scholars, they conclude that there really wouldn't be a modern world today if it wasn't for Jesus. That, who knows? Uh, the world would, it, it, of course, it continues to, it always continues to go, to spiral down without God's intervention. So who knows what the world would be like without the intervention of Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago, right? Um, the Jesus factor is so very, very crucial. Um, Everywhere, the message of Jesus, everywhere that it advanced and it, it was embraced by culture brought these amazing transformations in that culture. Again, from the first century all the way to modern times. And let me tell you, when the, whole, when the church and when, the Holy, uh, when she stays in step with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit, and when she's unified, when she's, uh, she's also mobilized, She's the most powerful force on earth. And sadly, I think that in our country, we're not seeing that like we used to. We're not seeing that uh, happen like we used to. Um, even the tyrannical Mary, Queen of Scots, um, some of you might know her history. You know, she was beheaded by her 
sister, uh, you know, Elizabeth, um, because of her rebellion, she was a, she was a, a Catholic, of course, and she killed many Protestants during the Scottish Reformation. She just they, she didn't agree with their theology, so she just murdered them. She killed them, and John Knox, of course, was a was a, a Scottish reformer who was a very powerful reformer and very powerful prayer, and he would uh, he would pray uh, things like, "Lord, give me Scotland, or I die." And, of course, Mary Queen of Scots said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Because when the church is united, when it's focused on the gospel, when it's really in tune with the Holy Spirit, it is a powerful force in culture. It's a powerful force in society, loved ones. And, uh, again, John Knox, give me Scotland, Lord, or I die. He was responsible for the advancement of a biblical understanding of democratic government. Amazing. Amazing, the, the understanding, the, the knowledge that they discern from God's Word. You know, we look, and I'm just going to highlight some of these things. We Look, there was four, four ways Christianity transformed the world. Uh, and I've hit on them lightly before. But they're, uh, they're just ways that uh, we take for granted these days. And it's so sad because right now our, the West, Europe and America, they are they're trying to push Christianity all the way to the edge, trying to rid our, our culture of its influence. And what is interesting to see is that they don't see that they're actually cutting the limb off that they're sitting on, and they don't realize that they want, they want to allow, they want this, they want to push God out, but the, what's going to fill it up is everything that's not God, and it's going to destroy them as well. Not just the not just the country, but it's going to destroy the people who are, who are advocating for these, these values and immoral ways. Um, and it's going to destroy them as well as, as, well as the country. Um, but again, I've hit on some, some of those briefly, but it's, it's just so sad to, to see uh, um, this happening because it was the ways, it was these four ways that really brought new life to a, a dying world. And one of the, one of the big, big revelations that has, that changed the world 2,000 years ago was this one right here, the revelation of a loving God. Now that doesn't knock our socks off because we've heard about God's love all of our life and it's even been mispreached and misused and so, so abused that now people take God's love for granted in our country as well as in Europe. And uh, by the way, the gospel, Christianity is growing everywhere except America and in Europe. I was talking to Jeff, Jeff Lithicum at the First Mennonite Church, and I was telling him that what we learned uh, at General Assembly for the Church of Nazarene last June was that, that, that the, the Church of Nazarene is exploding globally, except in America. And Jeff said, the same for us Mennonites. That the gospel is just where it's going globally. It's amazing how the church is growing and expanding, except in America. That's discouraging. 
and it, it, there's a lot of reasons for it. I don't want to be overly, I don't want to be sim- simplistic, but, but uh, one of the things is we really just take this, this wonderful revelation of God's love for granted. This truth transformed the first century, and it still does today, of course. It, in places, um, again, that have not been hardened to the wonder of it, it is still the most mind-boggling, one of the mind-boggling teachings of Christianity that God the Father actually loves us. Because their gods that they worship in other cultures do not love them. <laughs> do not love them. They don't, they don't think of God that, that way. This is an amazing revelation that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The idea that is, um, and again, that, that is rooted, it's rooted in the Old Testament as well as, of course, the New when they heard it, when pagans heard this wonder that God, that there's a God that loves them, it really gripped them because their gods were not kind. Their gods were not loving. They were not merciful. You've heard me preach about that before, that you had to yell loudly to try to get their attention. You had to say words over and over and over again. Of course, Jesus tried to show us that, no, God the Father is not like that. You don't have to use a lot of words. You don't have to yell a lot. Uh, He's a God that hears you before you even know what you need. He knows what your need is, and he rewards you in secret. He doesn't want you. He wants you to seek him in, 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 in private so he can reward you. He's a wonderful, loving God. He's not a... He's not a sleeping neighbor. He's not an unjust judge. He hears you. He wants to take care of you. And that was just an amazing message to pagans. Uh, their gods were easily offended. They were vengeful. They were not trustworthy. In fact, even tried to try to bribe them. Um, but Christianity believes, of course, in one God. And, uh, and in love sacrificed. In his love sacrificed what was dearest to him, of course, to reconcile humanity to himself through his son Jesus. Amazing. Ancient pagans had never heard of such a thing. They just never heard of such a thing. And this God was patient. And when we were foolish and sinful, this God was reliable. He was faithful. He was truthful. Plus on top of all that, the Son of God was raised from the dead to a new and glorious kind of life. So not only could uh, unworthy, sinful people be reconciled to the Creator, but they could be assured of this new and perfect life to come, that they could have eternal life. And um, again, Christianity in our country now, that does not really appeal to people like it used to. The second thing is that... uh, Christianity also, it created a higher level of ethics and morals. Ethics, of course, you know what ethics are. They're morals, uh, they're moral principles, excuse me, that govern people's behavior. Ethics uh, are who you are and what you do when nobody is looking. That's what ethics are. It's what you are and what you do when nobody is looking. And so Christian, you know, Christ brought a higher sense of ethics that when you, when you, if you were to be caught alone, you would be caught doing what's right, not what's wrong. Because Christianity changed a man, changed a woman from the inside out, you know. It brought a higher sense of living, a more, a more, a higher standard of living when it comes to ethics and morals. Amen. I tell you, we, um, 
you just can't appreciate it like folks in the late 300s, uh, uh, late uh, there, by, by the time Christianity had advanced in the late 300s into pe- people's lives, Roman Empire was beginning to crumble and racism was disappearing. Uh, slavery was disappearing. Remember, one quarter of the Roman Empire were slaves, and that was beginning to disappear. Crucifixion, the practice of crucifixion was disappearing. The gladiatorial games were disappearing. Women and children were being treated better. Uh, infanticide was becoming most, was very unpopular. And uh, so things were changing in the late 300s. Another thing that Christianity changed was women. Women, they were treasured, and they became more free. They were treasured. Where before they were oppressed a lot of times and they were in bondage and they were, they were abused and they were abandoned. When in, with, with Christianity, they were more treasured. They, they experienced a greater freedom. They, they didn't try to usurp men's authority. They didn't strip males their masculinity and try to dominate them. But they just exalt Christ through their Christian femininity. That's what was popular. That was what was happening, I should say, in rampant then. The, the resurrection of Jesus set people free from their fear of death, and particularly women. Women were set free from that. The scriptures taught that mankind, uh, male and female, were created in God's image, that God was no respecter of persons. And Jesus' followers pro- uh, properly inferred from that teaching that men and women are equal in the sight of God. That was really cool. They're equal in value in the sight of God. Yeah, they have different complementary roles in family and public, but they are equals in the sight of God. And as our culture strays from God's design of sexuality as revealed in Scripture, we are finding such confusion, aren't we, and destruction in uh, people's lives and in the home. There's no doubt that, uh, there's no doubt about that. The church also showed this astounding uh, compassion toward the sick and toward the poor and the homeless. And that compassion and kindness certainly attracted women who oftentimes were felt unloved and abused. So, fourthly, there, there was, or lastly, there was extreme educational improvements in science. Um, I tell you, the West so out, so outranked, so rose, rose so high above the Eastern cultures, and it was because of the influence of Christ in people's hearts and lives. Education, uh, there was improvements in science. Science didn't used to exclude God. It it formulated it was it's, God was the very basis of science. Uh, uh, art, hygiene. The quality of life, even the even the you know the black plague, they couldn't figure out how to stop the plague, and they finally started reading the Bible and found out about sanitary laws. They started following the sanitation laws, and the black plague, of course, lifted. Um, the um, you know Christianity taught that you and I are unique and that we are made in God's image and blessed with the opportunity to just explore this beautiful world. That God made this beautiful world. Yes, sin has 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 tainted it for sure, but there's there's a lot of beauty in the world, and that God wanted us to discover new things in this world that He would help that and that that would help us. There was uh, much in a beautiful sense to discover, as well as a practical sense, and it made life less burdensome. 
And you'd be amazed if we had time to look into all the details of how as people, even architects, begin to follow the Bible, begin to understand biblical principles of beauty, and they would build buildings that were inspirational to people. You know, sometimes we say, well, we don't, you know, we don't need to make things too beautiful. Well, the Bible teaches us that God doesn't mind for beautiful. He doesn't mind beautiful things. Beautiful things, you know, cause us to, to feel better. Uh, clean things do too. There's something about things that are, when you're in a clean environment that cause you to feel more wholesome. You know, those were, you know, it was Benjamin Franklin, of course, said that cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in the Bible, but it's a biblical principle. <laughs> it sure is. That culture realized that cleanliness and beauty are God's values. And there's nothing wrong with us following those particular values, of course, that, that are a blessing. Um, oceans could be crossed. New continents discovered. You know, Christopher Columbus discovered how to get across the Atlantic because he read the Bible, uh, because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Um, uh, there was vast resources were uncovered. Inventions, advancement in technologies exploded. It's like, the, it's like freedom, uh, that the freedom that Christ brought to the soul it's like he brought it to the mind as well. That people just started seeing things and understanding uh, the world and seeing blessings that God gave us in this world. Uh, labor-saving devices came forth. Uh, again, uh, barbaric Europe was just transformed in this, into the greatest, most technological and educationally advanced society on the planet. It's amazing. Uh, Christianity... Again, expanded in the arts, literature, music, visual art. You know, it's not an accident. As you think about, as you look at what's happening and what, what took place in Europe during the, you know, during the, the Re Reformation time and, you know, the Renaissance time, the, the greatest art, the greatest literature and music, it focuses on Christ and the biblical themes. Jesus inspired, for example, the, you know, the great masters like Leonardo da Vinci, you know. The Last Supper here, one of his masterpieces. There's all kinds of details in that in that picture that that tell the story of the of the, of the last of the Last Supper. You know, um, Michelangelo, of course, uh, painting the Sistine Chapel of the Act of Creation, and, um, was inspired by the scriptures to in 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 his art. When they would build buildings, they would build buildings, you know, cathedrals. You know, we look at them sometimes, Dan, and say, "What a waste of money." They look at them and say. Boy, what an inspirational thought. It points us up to God when we see those spires, when we see those great cathedrals. It reminds us how great God is and that we need to remember Him. You know, the ones at Oxford are, look at all those spires, trying to remind people to keep looking up to God, keep looking up to Him. He's your creator. He's the one you should be wor worshiping. Amen. The buildings in Washington, D.C. are etched in Scripture. The staircase, if you've been in the Washington Monument, I've not been in the inside, I've been, of course, on the outside. I've seen it as magnificent, but the staircase of the Washington Monument is lined with Scripture. It's etched in the walls from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Did you know that? As you're going up the staircase, well, there's a Scripture that says, Search the Scriptures. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Holiness to, to the Lord. 
And on the east, on the east face of the roof there of the, of the Washington Monument, there is a phrase that says, praise be to God. <laughs> a beautiful edifice. And we want to, and we have scripture etched all over it. This is our country, by the way. This is when our country focused on God, honored God, believed on, on, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Of course, you just have to go to Lincoln Memorial and it's filled with scripture as well. As President Lincoln often used scripture in his speeches. The Supreme Court building has the image of Moses with the Ten Commandments above those nine court justices. I think you ought to look up once in a while and see those things. Some of those justices, my goodness, he's right up there. I mean, the Supreme Court used to believe in the principles of this book. In the Capitol Rotunda, we see paintings of the cross of Jesus. We see the Bible, paintings of the Bible there. Uh, we see the baptism of Pocahontas, who became a Christian, who left her pagan ways and became a Christian. Don't believe the story of Disney. It's not true. The true story of Pocahontas is that she left her pagan ways and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see her in heaven some, some, someday. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Moving down down the hallway uh, to the st- statutory hall, you'll see historical Christian figures carrying Bibles and carrying crosses. And moving then on across to the Library of Congress, you're going to see actually in the walls etched there, there and painted there all kinds of reminders about God. For instance, one phrase is, nature is the art of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And also it says, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Now, these are in the buildings in Washington, D.C. The scripture is moving to the Jefferson Jefferson Memorial. Uh, He's the one, you know, Thomas Jefferson, 1774, wrote that God who gave us life gave us liberty. And if you look in his memorial, you'll see this etched there. See if I got it. I think I got it up here for you. You'll see this entire phrase, this entire sentence here, this entire uh, phrase. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. See, it was Christianity that inspired these beautiful buildings. That, and because they, they did, then we want to make sure that the Word of God is etched in them, at least they used to. The message that God loves mankind, that He is a God of truth and not deceit or not trickery, and that the Lord is good and that He has made what He has made is good. It laid a foundation for our education system. And education, you know, it can't be built upon ignorance. Uh, ignorance is vanquished when, 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 the Christian, when the kingdom of God came into pe- people's lives. And compassion instilled. Literacy was encouraged. Children were taught to read early. 
one of the early books that they were that was used as a as a teach as a teaching tool as a textbook was one called the New England Primer. This was uh, very popular for uh, uh, several, many, many decades, uh, even before the 1790s. It went on into the 1800s. Uh, this was a book that was used in, in grade school. Children learned the alphabet by learning the Bible. That's how they learned the alphabet. They had these, these uh, the, the al alphabet, where they used uh, different rhymes and things that teaching not only the alphabet, but the Bible at the same time. Let me give you just a few, few examples here. For example, here, in Adam's fall, we send all. Of course, teaching the letter A. Thy life to mend, this book attend. Of course, talking about the Bible and the letter B. Going down to the letter G. As runs the glass, man's life doth pass. Samuel anoints whom God appoints. Xerxes the great did die, and so must you and I. Zacchaeus did climb the tree, his Lord to see. So children learn these phrases. They learn their ABCs by learning these kind of phrases. At the same time, they learn the Word of God. And they learn the values and the principles of God's Word about life and death in their life. Yeah. And so a person who came through school, they knew all about Christianity. I'm talking about the public school. <laughs> they, they came, they learned all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a message of Jesus in the Bible that changed the nearly zero literacy rate among the pagans. It's inconceivable that the blessings of uh, uh, orphanages and hospitals and missions would exist today without the coming of Jesus and the founding of his church. Loved ones, if, if, not, if not for Jesus, again, we would not have doctors. We would not have nurses. We would not have specialists. But instead, we would have witch doctors and shamans and kahunas. You know what a kahuna is? Sometimes you say, hey, are you, are you the big kahuna? Well, kahuna means Hawaiian witch doctor, so I don't know that's a much of a blessing to be called that or not. But uh, it means Hawaiian witch doctor. But um, that's what we would have. We'd have spells and magic and su superstition and all kinds of uh, bondage to uh, evil and ill and uh, uh, scary thoughts. And what about transportation? What about flying? You know, the Wright brothers and, and their faith in God and flying and, and, and driving and, and modern communication and phones and internet and all those things. I'm amazed myself how much Mount Hope has done in the name of Jesus to lift up the souls of people. If you just stop and think about it, we just get used to maybe doing it and it, it becomes, it's, it's part of our lifestyle. I tell you, Mount Hope has not only helped change people's lives in Burn, but also Adams County, even the United States, you know, as we have given to different needs and, and mission trips and, and even around the world. Amen? No other faith in the world gives to the needs of hurting people. Have you ever noticed that? No other faith in the world gives the needs of hurting people except Jesus and the kingdom of God. Let me close this down for you today. Christianity is the only faith that holds the view that God our Creator purchased our redemption. That's what makes it so unique. In all other systems of faith, it's not God who suffers in order to save mankind, but it's mankind that must suffer 
You must suffer enough to make yourself good enough to get into heaven. That's what all the other world religions teach in one way or another. We either just have to accept life or we have to try to redeem ourselves. But Christianity is the only faith that holds the view that God our creator actually purchased our redemption himself. So why do some people respond to Jesus' message and some don't? I, you know, that's a conundrum to me. Why, why is it that I responded but I have buddies who still have not responded to Jesus? Why did I hear his voice and they apparently don't think they have? You know, why, why, that's always a mystery, isn't it, of the human heart. But Jesus said there would be four responses to his message, to this kingdom message. Some would be stone cold to it and they, would, they wouldn't respond to it. Some would just, they, would, they wouldn't even think two times about it, you know. Some would superficially receive it, only to give it up later. Others would be wooed away from it because of material things or because of problems and all the cares and the issues in their life. And yet others would receive him and cling to him no matter what the problem is. They were going to hang on to Jesus no matter what the hardship. So loved ones, uh, wherever or whatever hard or whatever binding circumstances are going to weigh you down today or you find yourself in today, let me, try, let me challenge you with something. Instead of trying to escape it on your own, ask God this. Lord, you've changed so much in this world with the power of the cross and the resurrection. What do I need to do? How do I, what do you need to do in my mind to change my thinking where the gospel can begin setting me free from some of the things that, I, that hinder me in my walk with you and that seem to keep my testimony about Jesus kind of all tied up instead of being a, a, a vessel of freedom and a vessel of joy and a vessel of that, well, expression that you've changed my life and you know what, neighbor? He can change yours too and he can, he can lift up this situation too and, and he, can, he can change that life too. God wants us to be, to experience that kind of opportunity, have that kind of opportunity in 2024. I know it. To show the world that his way defeats the power of the devil. That's my prayer. Lord, you came to destroy the works of the devil. Help me, Lord, to be more, more open, more, more available to you that people will see your grace in my life. They'll see your love in my life. They'll see me fulfilling what it means to be a man in Christ that they also might want what I have. That your kingdom in me might help to change them as well. So let's, uh, let's remember that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil even in 2024. Amen? No amen? Amen. Okay. I'm glad you said that because I've got to preach it all over again. I tell you... I've always found Jesus to be more and more exciting. He's always got something new to learn. Something new for me to experience. Some, some ministry that he would like for me to, to take, to walk down. Some person he wants me to influence. Some person he wants me to love. Some person he wants me to lift up. Some grandchild he wants me to uh, 
show the wonder of Christ too. No. He's not finished with us, is he? And even though things are kind of dismal in our country, they're not dismal in my life, I'll tell you that. The revival's going on in my heart. It can go on in your heart too. And uh, just keep praying that the church of Jesus will become unified again and mobilized in the power of the Spirit as we try to reach this pagan culture. Amen. Well, I hope that today, that this was encouraging to you. Let's, uh, let's stand together as we prepare for 2024. Remember that uh, the cross and the resurrection are still just as powerful as it was in the very beginning. Lord, today as we leave this place, we would ask you that we will not just uh, leave and walk out the doors with, with life as usual, but we pray that, Lord, if you've been speaking to our hearts, we will act and we will obey uh, the nudgings of God that we will take that step we need to take, whatever it might be, that step of obedience, that, that new step of, of, uh, of uh, whatever it, it, it might be, that, that new, new step of, of, uh, of, of love towards somebody, that new step of sacrifice, that maybe that new step of holding back uh, from the things that we always indulge in in the world, maybe that new step of fasting, from certain pleasures that we might see greater pleasures that you have for us in your kingdom. Or whatever it is, we pray that we will grow. We pray that we will grow and that, Lord, we pray you would open the door for us in our lives that we might really touch people, that we might really reach people, not just mundanely go through life every day but that that you help us to see that our actions and and obeying staying in step with you and obeying what you have to say to us uh, staying in step with your spirit actually will cause us to touch people's lives for Jesus Lord that's what we pray we pray that we will we will keep on shining bright in 2024 in Jesus name amen Well, God bless you. Happy New Year. And uh, don't eat too much tonight, huh?